the Meat and Potatoes podcast. We're here with Tom Wright, who's the president of Ciscon Automation. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Our pleasure, as always. So tell us a little bit about Ciscon Automation. This one's going to be fun for me because it's like being a kid again, asking <laughs> how things work, but I'll try to make it uh, an adult podcast here. But tell us about the company. Uh, it is pretty exciting stuff. So the uh, we were formed 20 years ago uh, by our founder, Bob Bruce. He uh, did his schooling in Wisconsin, came out to ski traditional Utah story, loved it, brought his little family out here and continued to grow the company from a one-man shop into our engineering firm, about 25 people today. And uh, we focus on uh, really three verticals, um, smart conveyance, uh, robotic build, we call them machine build, um, and then also process control. If you think of anything that's a liquid running through a pipe that needs to be controlled in a, a mixer, a vat, or uh, you know something like that, that's what we do. Okay. Control that. And so when people think of a factory or an assembly line, they've got these machine builders, we can call them robots. You told me that's okay. <laughs> And uh, it's any number of things on planet Earth that they're helping make, right? It, it really becomes very creative on what you can do with them, yes, and becoming more so. And not as much as, you know, people were really worried in the beginning that, you know, they would replace people for jobs and what have you. I think we've really gone past that in the last 25 years, and it's really augmenting people. Um, and so it'll take a task that either humans can't do or can't do very frequently without hurting themselves and what have you. You've seen the pictures of the automotive manufacturing, you know, and them assembling cars. Yeah. It hasn't hurt the automotive manufacturing at all, you know. If anything, it's increased it. And so that's what we really is, are looking for is augmentation into the machines and, and to the processes so that we can do them better, faster, and stronger. Yeah. And so for anyone that's done manual labor, done something in repetition they don't like, they've probably had the idea of it'd be great if there was a robot or something else. And most people aren't smart enough to do it. Right. Um, whether it's like on the family farm or if you're a Henry Ford, you know, there's a better way to do it. And so he's obviously building the company and building out machine and robot help. Right. Yeah, right. Greatly influencing how successful they were. And so when I think of that, I think of, you know, Henry Ford and automotive, but it could be something as small as microprocessors or pills or something even delicate, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, we do a lot of nutraceuticals, you know, and so from a, both an assembly standpoint and then packaging associated with them as well, um, a lot of quality control inspection. The inspections from a robotic standpoint are phenomenal. You can present the robot in multiple ways. Um, we're, we're doing one with uh, uh, x-ray inspection, you know, that you can do. And so it really gives you a lot of opportunity. And, uh, and they used to do it with microscope, you know. And so now you, instead of staring through a microscope each day, you can review a report and it's, you know, presented in, in an automated and consistent manner. Yeah. Um, okay, so some of your customers give a, a few examples, uh, both big and small. And uh, the, when they reached out to you, how did the process go? Like, we got a problem. We don't have anything or this, none of these things work very good anymore. Can you guys make them better? How was the initial meeting? I'll these? take one example. For example, a bath bomb, you know, the uh, very popular, um, you know, scented 
item, mm -hmm. and uh, they were having both a manufacturing problem, um, uh, a identity. You know, they couldn't keep their lot sizes and everything consistent, so they're having, you know, problems from an assembly standpoint and uh, manufacturing control standpoint, and then from a production standpoint on packaging. And so it literally took all of our talents, you know, from the beginning to the end, and we were able to present them with, you know, manufacturing help from a consistency standpoint, as well as coding and, and recipe management, you know, from a process control standpoint, and then from a packaging standpoint on the other end. So that really, you know, even on a small scale, really gives you an idea of what we're able to do. Yeah. And so this requires an understanding of electricity and engineering <laughs> and science and math. Um, if you guys have a, like a net new client, right? Um, it probably involves a lot of imagination too. It does. Yeah. And so you really do get creative. It's fun to be able to get in the, you know, the brainstorming sessions of how we can help with this. Uh, we had a spa manufacturer in a, approach us, you know, and uh, they were having a consistency problem on being able to manufacture their spas. And so we were able to take a robot and literally spray the rigidizer that's called to be able to make the spa so that it doesn't fall apart. And uh, not a very fun process because it's really nasty, you know, to be involved and what have you, and their consistency was really bad. And now they can put it in a paint booth, you know, with a robot and their consistency has gone up. And in addition to that, it's scalable. They literally can, you know, do four lines instead of just one. Uh, to be able to, to manufacture. So it's worked out very well. So in that example, there's obviously a pain point and they've got to either take their medicine and, and keep being unproductive or put a capital allocation out. Um, you guys help them understand like the, the ROI over, over years, I would assume. We do. And oftentimes, you know, they're a little sticker shocked, you know, to, to be able to, you know, a typical robot could be a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, in an install basis. And so, uh, in the beginning, a lot of these guys come in, they'll be a little bit sticker shock, like, ooh, I was hoping it was 10000 you know, or 20000 you know. Yeah. And uh, But what's fun is they come back about a year later and they say, okay, we're ready, you know. Uh, it's mentally, because we can do the ROI, but they were not ready for it financially. They're not ready, you know, yeah. either from a funding standpoint or even from a mental allocation standpoint. And uh, um, But it's fun because they do come back. Yeah. Know? It's like, okay, yep, we're ready. Even yeah. though the ROI is three months, you know, four months, they're still not mentally ready to put that, you know, allocation out. Yeah. Unless they're the ones like in the paint booth, and they'll, <laughs> they'll push it forward a little bit faster. That's right. That's right. Um, so what's the, the life cycle for these, these robots? Are there some that are kind of eternal? Is it they're done in 10 years? How it's, long do they last? It's more than 10. It's 20, 25 years. You can do some maintenance or should do some maintenance on them. Uh, so they do have joints, you know, that can be repaired. But uh, uh, our industry is really only 20, 30 years old, you know, and so we still have Gen 1 robots out there that are still working um, and doing well. And so uh, there is even a secondary market where they'll take used robots, refurbish them and their joints, they have some uh, hydraulic fluid in the joints, and so they'll do, put new seals in, things like that, and then push them back out into the market. And so um, they've been a, a, a well-received you know, from a mechanical standpoint as well as a long-lasting product. Yeah. And so you guys, um, you'll get a client and a customer, and you'll know what you have in stock and inventory that you could implement. But then you guys need to get more robots, right? 
And you mentioned before when we were talking, there's a big plant that robots make the robots, right? Right. And so you guys will order those robots based on the specs and the the mission of the you know the client. Um, how long does it take on average uh, from start to finish to get what the client wants set up and operational? So recently, with supply chain issues, um, it, it's grown. You know, typically it was six weeks was really kind of our standard. You know, uh, supply. If you ordered really anything, you could get it within six weeks, which was great. Um, nowadays, sometimes that's months. You know, uh, it could be four months, five months, six months. Um, we're working hard to be able to, you know, fix that problem, but it re- that's that's a supply chain issue, and it's a little larger than what we can can solve ourselves. Yeah, and so is that like. Do they need to shut down their business for a couple of days, a couple of weeks as you guys are installing all of this? How does that work? Yeah, and it depends. Sometimes they'll have lines, you know, that we can do a line while they're, you know, doing their regular business in a paint booth, for example. We could install it really while they were in manufacturing. They just went around it. Um, If you're doing a control line, like an automotive line, for example, if they have multiple lines, it'll work, you know, to be able to just work on the line. So oftentimes it's not shutting down the entire thing. Um, but uh, the uh, typical install, I would say, would be 10 days probably, um, you know, from a, uh, a beginning to end of the installation, you know, period. Some obviously can be simple and done in a couple of days and some, you know, might be a lot longer than that. Yeah. And is there something that's kind of a reoccurring thing that, doesn't seem to work as well as you want it to. <laughs> we hope not. <laughs> yeah. The uh, you know I'd say you know gitches. Um, the we really don't have a lot of gotchas or you know problems that we're trying to solve from a programming standpoint. Um, it's fairly mature of what we're trying to do, and it's we try to keep it fairly repetitive. You know. So that we're not uh, reinventing the wheel, um, nor are we adding a whole bunch of risk from, you know, tr- of a success standpoint. And so we've been able to control that pretty good. I'd say the biggest challenge is just scale, you know, where instead of one or two, it's 50 or 30 or, you know, 10. And so that kind of gets complicated just from an electrical, you know, connection standpoint and making sure everything is balanced and, and installed. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's been pretty good and pretty mature. Um, you know, the, the robotic industry continues to add things to it, but, uh, it's been mature for probably 15 years. So it's been nice. Yeah. And I assume the, the technology advances are always in favor of like making the managers and the people be more efficient as well, right? Whether they can operate it from their phone as they sit in their desk or to take a smoke break versus going and plugging in information. How do you guys stay as far ahead of that as possible? Yeah. And that's almost called edge computing and that's getting really, really popular today, you know, to be able to operate both remotely, um, to communicate remotely. Your sensors are getting smarter so that they'll start communicating. You know, you take a bearing for example, or even, you know, a bearing on a robot it starts to have sensors that will feed back and tell that you have a certain vibration, you know, limit, and uh, which means it's going bad, you know, and so you can report that. We've got motor vibration sensors that we can tell when a motor starts to go out. So the preventative maintenance side of it is actually pretty cool because you can take all that information, literally AI it, you know, and put it into a chart that allows you to say, hey, this motor's going to fail in 3.6 you know, hours, you know, oh, wow. days or years, you know, type of a thing. 
um, and it becomes you know very useful information from a when you have you know 180 motors in your plant. So yeah, pretty cool. And what uh, with your client base is there are there clients that are like too big for for you and your team too small? How do you guys uh, figure out your ideal? Client base. We have a, a kind of a minimum project size of you know about thirty thousand, so it's that's fairly small. You know, um, you could get smaller than that if you wanted to do something at home or what have you. That kind of wouldn't be our stuff. From a too large standpoint, we haven't really found one of those yet. You know, um, I think that self limits. You know, we're not huge, um, but uh, nor are a lot of our customers within Utah huge. So. Um, like we mentioned, you know, we've done jobs for Tesla and, uh, um, but it was only a portion of it on their battery and battery testing. And so that was an easy scope for us to be able to handle, you know, ourselves. We weren't building everything that Tesla did, um, nor really was any one single, you know, vendor doing that. So, yeah. So you guys, um, do work with competitors on bigger projects then? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the industry actually is very collaborative. It's it's um, because it's kind of mature, and because we're a bunch of engineers that enjoy the technology side point, we go to these professional conferences, and it's really you know sharing. Uh, it's really quite rewarding how much can get shared from a technology standpoint, uh, even though there really are your competitors in other you know geographies. So yeah. you really can learn from that. It's worked out really well. Yeah, that's good better than everyone being cutthroat yep yep over the years has there been anything that you thought could never be uh automated and use robotics could help out but is now a reality it's yes um the let me think of a good example would probably be uh well even just conveyance is probably a good example in the beginning conveyance was pretty much uh motor driven but you, you, but one motor would drive, you know, hundreds of feet of conveyor. You couldn't um, uh, really control any on ramps or off ramps or you know things that would allow you to merge and things like that. And all of that in recent technology with variable speed drives and and more sophisticated controls with gating and what have you has really allowed us to do pretty magical things from a conveyance standpoint. It's really, you know, you think Amazon and their distribution, it's that, you know, only scaled down some, you know, Mm -hmm. really. Uh, And so that's allowed us to really, you know, succeed. And the information side of it has become a big portion of it because now it comes in digitally, your address that you're shipping to and what have you, and you can consolidate your, your zip codes and your states and everything so that... You know, it's all bundled to be able to go out easier into your distribution. Yeah. Um, do you and your team find yourselves wherever you go, whether it's dinner or the movies or whatever you do in life, that <laughs> you're looking at things from an engineering perspective constantly and thinking that should be automated and a robot should be doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't turn that off. At least I haven't been able to. Yeah, one of my fun ones is display systems, you know, in uh, shopping. I'll go with my wife to the mall, you know, what have you. Yes, there still is a mall. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'll look at these, you know, um, pretty cool, intricate mechanical methods of being able to, to put things together in a cost-effective manner. And uh, you learn from it. You know, some of my products have actually incorporated some of those concepts. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And do you guys have, do you guys allow your, your engineers 
both software and hardware to kind of tinker about and have a little bit of free time to tinker on some of the things they're passionate about. Yeah, yeah. We've got some 3D printers in the shop and what have you that are, you know, part of the, the innovation side of it and allows us to do it. We do get busy sometimes and, you know, that isn't it. But when we do have some downtime, that's a great time to, to invest. Yeah. And as far as materials, like with 3D printing, is that going to be a part of what you guys do in the future? The, I don't think from a product, you know, well, one of the nice things that really come in is, is, is our um, a bracketry, you know, to hold a sensor, for example, has always been very difficult to be able to manufacture, model, you know, perfect and what have you. Nowadays, you can print a 3D bracket very easily out of your modeling program and then go verify that you like it. And then even in small quantities, you can print it, you know, for what you want. If you want to do hundreds of it, you send it out, you know, to be able to get manufactured. But that's worked out very, very well. Um, I wouldn't say that we're modeling an actual robot, you know. However, we do have 3D modeling for the robot motion itself. And that's become a big portion of what we do is everything's almost digitally imaged first and then uh, you can actually um, verify your tolerances and your motion and make sure everything's in, con- in compliance. And then you literally put that same program into the robot, and magically it works the same. Oh, gotcha. Well. Going back to kind of the customer onboarding, um, do you guys have a system where you can kind of corral all of the confusion with the client of, um, we want this to do this, this, and this? right? You guys follow a system where everyone's on the same page and comfortable with this is possible. This isn't, this will take an extra two months. If you do it, this, how do you guys, uh, not be overbearing with the client, even though you already know the answers. (laughs) That's right. Uh, a lot of it is done in the sales process, which is nice, you know, so as much scope definitions we can in the sales process, we try to do, um, there's some details that just aren't necessary and we'll explain to the customer. We'll build that when it comes, you know, don't Mm -hmm. worry, you know, it's fine. But a lot of the uh, scope definition occurs in the sales process. And so then we're able to start off the project with a defined scope definition. Should there be changes or need for changes, what have you, it's a good discussion point and a good baseline to be able to do that. And then we track that with software that allows us to be able to scale it for multiple projects. If we were you know, pen-based, it would, it would be very, very challenging today. But uh, with the software base, we're able to do it on a template and then that template is able to be followed in a, in a repetitive method. Works out really well. Gotcha. And so you, uh, you finish the job, the client's happy. Um, do you guys also check and monitor your work from your HQ? Yes, we do have some remote monitoring depending on the, the uh, customer's needs and, and willingness to open up, you know, a, a port for us. And, but uh, uh, that is, you know, part of what we do. Uh, some of them we can do this remote, uh, um, remote monitoring from a, a vibration standpoint, what have you, and to do some preventative maintenance opportunities. We could actually contact the customer, hey, you're going to have a failure here, you know, type of thing. Um, we can tell whether there is a fault in our program um, remotely and to be able to uh, understand, you know, the, the, the reason for it and where it came from help either from a resetting standpoint or if it's a, uh, an incessant fault to understand what changed in the process. So it's worked okay. out really well. Cool. And do you guys ever find that um, you've got the job, you've got the client, it's wrapping up, and they might not have anyone there to 
run the actual <laughs> robots and machines and everything? Uh, luckily, we haven't had an, you know an empty uh, it, uh, situation. There has been stress, you know, where one guy's running around somewhat wildly, and they wish that he would have two or three. Yeah, um, we certainly witnessed that, but, but luckily, not nobody, you know. Um, and so, yeah, enough customers have enough retention, you know, to be able to to operate it. And, uh, um, and that's worked out well for us. Very cool. Um, so, you know, over your tenure, things have changed a lot. And, uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, it's a fairly new industry. Um, as you look into the future, what are you most excited about, um, for, for your company? And what do you think would be a cool innovation across all of your competitors that people would find interesting? Well, just the digital uh, convergence of information and being able to, you know, the Internet helped us so much from a tool of information in our daily use, particularly with software. Um, The machines have never really been a part of that, and they're becoming a part of that. And so as we get more information off of the machines, we're able to digest and and, uh, process that information, make better decisions, and then integrate that into a complete solution where you could literally have, you know, a remote plant that would be making different portions, you know, like assembly line, like a Henry Ford, but it would be virtual. It'd literally be in multiple locations. And uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, You know, the speeds are already there. We can do it. um, And it's coming. You know, they call that Internet 4.0. Everybody gets excited about it. But uh, um, it's, it's, it's pretty cool from a, from a process standpoint. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, 10, 20 years later, you could have uh, your company and you're running the factory. And instead of getting a phone call late at night, something's wrong. You just uh, look at your iPad or something and you kind of know. That's right. Bird's eye view. Yep. Yep. Very cool. As I mentioned, this could be a four or five hour podcast. (laughs) We should have done it uh, with uh, on site with some cool machines and robots. But thank you so much for taking the time to join, Tom. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.